What is up, y'all? This is Connie Morgan with the Free Black Thought Podcast. Today, I'm chatting with Charles Love, the Executive Director of Seeking Educational Excellence, a nonprofit whose mission is to empower disadvantaged students to reach their full potential. He's also a co-host of the Cut the Bull podcast, a contributing writer at City Journal, and the author of several books. In this episode, we talk about the culture, education, of course, and he gives me his thoughts on the upcoming 2024 election. It is with great pleasure that I bring you Mr. Charles Love. Oh, and remember, there is no such thing as the Black perspective, just Black people with perspectives. The number you have dialed. You're listening to the Free Black Thought Podcast. Charles, thank you so much for joining me today on the Free Black Thought Podcast. As you know, we are just now kind of launching a podcast. It's been a long time coming, but I knew when we did these first round of interviews with folks, I was like, Charles Love, he's going to be one of our one of our first interviews because you have been one of our OG supporters, I feel like. You were one of the first people to be published in the journal way back when, when we got started, and um, you were just a force in the culture. We just love you at Free Black Thought, right? And so I want, even though we're very familiar with you and we have been rocking with you for a long time at FBT, how about you tell our audience a little bit about yourself in case they haven't heard of you yet? Okay. I am Charles Love, as you said. Thank you so much for having me and and the kind words in the intro. But how would I describe myself? I guess I'm something of a culture warrior. Speak a lot on what's going on today. Less political than many people. So that kind of guides both where I come from and the reactions that I get. I'm sure we'll talk about that uh, down the road. I am the executive director of a nonprofit called Seeking Educational Excellence. We're trying to improve the conditions in the education space, which is really hard to do. Uh, write a lot. I'm the co-host of the Cut the Bull podcast with uh, Wilfred Riley, Shamika Michelle. We interview all types of interesting people from politicals to people who've been canceled and things of that nature, going along the, the, the cultural vein and uh, just trying to be a voice in the wilderness in this madness, uh, primarily in the real world. I know we all tend to connect on Twitter, but that's only a small segment of the population. So I try to take what's happening on Twitter, what's happening in academia and what's happening on the ground in the real world world, and kind of put those together so people can understand what's being talked about, what's being done and um, the shift that the culture is undertaking right now. Do you think that academia is sort of the foundation for the problems or solutions that the country's facing today? Is that, is that your number one priority then? Hmm. It depends on what which problem or how we're looking at it. Uh, if you talk in academia, obviously thinking of higher ed, not K through twelve, they each have a, a segment, of course. But I don't. I, I wouldn't say so. I would say it was at the point you'll hear it a lot from people, people in academia, and uh, people who've been following this for a long time, saying this all started there, right? Mm-hmm. That may be true. But if you're asking if right now that's the place of that I would put it number one that's causing all the problems. It's kind of like COVID, that lab leak. Yeah. That might have been the source. <laughs> but once it got outside the lab, you know, it's everywhere. So today I pro- I wouldn't probably say, I don't know if you can really pinpoint one, which is part of the problem trying to fix it because there's so many holes in the dike, right? So you can't just stick your finger in academia and say it's solved. I think that it's one of many very major sources of the problems that we're facing. But I don't know if today I would say is the biggest reason. Do you, so is your focus more on K through 12 or higher ed? Well, now when I address education, it's both, 
probably a little more K through 12. Uh, but you know, academia does have its issues. What, what I'm saying is from the problems that we're facing and the, the political debates we're having and the cultural shift that we're facing, now that it's leaked from the lab, I, I say it's not the biggest problem because I think what's, what, what's number one for me and what I try to address, I just haven't figured out, I know I'm right in it being so <laughs> high on the list, but I haven't figured out how to solve. So every time I talk to people about it, and I mention to them, I get interesting reactions. But then I say, so what do you think? How do we think it address it? Because I know it's a problem. I just don't know how to get to them. What I think the biggest problem is, is the regulars, the normal people. Even though there's more information now than there's ever been before, fewer people read the newspaper than they used to read, obviously, because information is everywhere else. But I run into a lot of people who are trying to, you know, manage life, children, marriage, uh, education, their jobs. And then you throw in the fact that we've had this economic up and down and people had to shift the way they work. And, it's, you know, it fills a lot of time. So they're not really paying attention to this stuff. I have conversations outside of social media and academia with my friends and family or the Uber driver, wherever else I go. And I'll just mention things, throw topical things, things that 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 are hottest on Twitter. And I'd ask them about it and they'd be like, I don't know what you're talking about. They have mm. no idea. Yeah. So and people's like, yeah, I can get that. But the, we, I don't think too many people really uh, appreciate how big a problem that is. If you're trying to fix the culture one or if you're worried about a, the political debate, if that's your thing. So if you're fighting left to right and you're like, well. I, my candidate won. I have a mandate. No, my side has a mandate. No, people are more liberal. No, people are more conservative. And then you look at the that particular election, wherever it may be, Brandon Johnson in Chicago, de Blasio the last time he won, Eric Adams, whatever. You look at, you peel back the numbers and the voter turnout's like 20%, mm -hmm. right? So all, but all of those other people still live and function and are affected by what happens in the culture and what happens in legislation. So at some point, we need to get those people involved. They need to know what's going on. And until we can get them involved, but also measure what they really think, we don't really know what. So so society's arguing when there's a Supreme Court case or when something happens in the news, whether the majority of the country's pro-abortion or want to defund the police or think that LGBT issues are being pushed in schools and they're for it or against it. Really, we don't know because of the people we're polling, we're either polling Twitter or we're mm -hmm. polling, uh, polling the people who are most adamantly for or against the issue. So you're uh, polling the hard left or the hard right. So you're asking the people who are out there protesting for or against something. So, of course, they have an opinion. But the rest of the people, like, I don't know. They're either not paying attention to it or they don't care enough to get involved. So, But we're assuming by that poll what the average American thinks. And we don't really know. So if you're talking to the, just the regular folks, how do you break down this cultural shift in layman's terms? When you say cultural shift, what do you mean? I mean, you and I were in it. Yeah. We're on Twitter. This is what we do. We're in right. these spaces where we're debating these things. But like you said, the average person isn't. So when you say, if you talk, start talking about the cultural shift to your cab driver or whatever, and they're like, cultural shift, what do you mean? Yeah. How do you even explain that to them? That is key. Now that I'm very good at. What I'm struggling with is finding them, which we'll get to. Um <laughs> But so I like to call myself the the, the, the whisperer. So I take uh, so there's some really much smarter people than me, Eric Smith, Glenn Lowry, all these uh, academics. But many of them write these wonderful books and they write them for other academics. So the regular people aren't reading them. Right. 
So I'm like, how? But this information is good. So how do I get it to the masses? So you ask that question. So I don't really call it the cultural shift when I talk to them. I I, I ask probing questions, and then I follow up. So I might be in a, give you a real life example. I was coming from um, some event. I don't know where I was coming from, but I got in an Uber, and there's a black woman. I'm guessing she's probably in her 40s or something, and she's driving an Uber. So I'm like, "How's your day going?" We're having a conversation, and I just start asking her questions like. Um, I don't remember what the first question was. I think I asked, but at some point we got to what her friends thought about the news. Like, do you watch the news? And they were like, no, we don't really watch the news. I said, so what do you all talk about when you hang out with your friends and all this other kind of stuff? Oh, we talk about music or we, you talk about, you know, there's all kind of things that we go to, we have a barbecue. And she talked about the things she talked about. I said, oh, okay, do, do any of them um, express any concerns about the economy at this, that, the other? They said, no, most of them, they all work. My friends, they hustle, they have two jobs. I'm a professional truck driver and I Uber on the side. I got eight kids. I'm 52 years old and I'm just, you know, focused on making money. And my friends are like that. So you, you have this rift between the friends who went to college and the ones who didn't. And they're wondering how this guy didn't go to college, but he has a five bedroom house or whatever. It's like, yeah, because they're all starting businesses and doing all this kind of stuff. And her point is, we just don't have time to be paying attention to all that other stuff. And I said, yeah. do they watch like cable news? She's like, no, none of my friends watch any of that. So you never have any political de- debates or any of that stuff. She said, no. I said, so what do you think the problem is? She's like, you know, I, I think that we're not really teaching our kids to focus on the right thing. Then it went down that path. So that's how the conversation it was more like an organic conversation. Maybe there's something they're listening to uh, something on the radio. I'm in New York. Maybe the cab driver's listening to something or they play the little thing in the back where they're playing little news clips. And I say, did you see this? What do you think about that? Like somebody got pushed on the train or somebody got arrested. A, a guy at a bodega got arrested uh, and charged with murder. He, he was eventually uh release, but charged with murder for defending himself. Man physically came behind the counter at the store he works and started beating on him. He stabs him. He goes to jail for murder. So obviously, if it's at the time that that happened, I would say, so what do you think about that? And the driver would give his opinion. And based on his opinion, we'd have a conversation about that. They end up taking it to things are different from this day. I had a Indian uh, Uber driver. I said, how long you been here? I've been here for 30 years. And on his own, he's like, well, Things are a lot of different than here. I mean, a lot of people don't like the Rudy Giuliani guy, but when I came here, he was mayor and he could, you know, he cleaned up everything. When I first got here, you couldn't go to Times Square. It was scary. And they cleaned it up. And now it's starting to look like before he was mayor. I didn't solicit that. I just asked him like one question and he just started spilling all this stuff out. Mm-hmm. Once they start spilling what they think, what's the next step? If you're trying to, you're just, are you doing this just so you can hear and get a better feel for the, for the pulse of the regular man? Or are, do you, are you trying to say, well, you know, you say you don't, you're not involved with politics or whatever, but, you know, Rudy Giuliani was elected, right? So do you <laughs> care about who we're electing? Like, what do you, what, how do you, do you vote? What's the next step once they kind of tell you what they think? Well, see, that's the problem why I say I need, I still need the final pieces where to find people because you need a more organized way because I can do this and I have been doing it for years. So one off, three at a time, at a barbecue, at a party, because I talk to people, even if it's wherever I am, work related, whatever, it doesn't matter. So you reach some people, but you need to get a critical mass of them. But the second problem to doing it is in these chance meetings I do, you can't really get to the second thing because, you know, you you get to your destination, you get out of the car. Uh, so, but I'm doing it for both. I'm doing it to find out what people say. So when I debating someone on Twitter, somebody's twittering, uh, tweeting something saying, this is what Americans believe. I'm like, ah, I don't really know. You're basing it on Twitter and Twitter's not real. And I'm using that as evidence. But beyond that, I am trying to get them to see 
that what they're talking about, whatever the issue is we were just discussing, matters in a in a larger cultural and political context. Now, generally, I don't have enough time in that time, as you say, if I get an opportunity. But sometimes you do. It may be a doorman. It may be somebody at a grocery store and you see them again and you pick up on that conversation again. Mm. But where you can't, it, the, the point is to not necessarily to try to change them. But I can, if I have enough time, get them to understand, like you say, that there are, you know, ramifications to elections. But beyond elections, that there's a reason for X or if there's something they're complaining they don't like. Someone's pushing that. And I leave them with, I don't say Democrat or Republican, whatever, whatever the issue may be, but someone's pushing that you should go find out who that is. So a lot of things in the most recently would be a lot of the the trans and gender issue for little kids, not about what you believe in general, what a person's freedom should be able to do. But should you be having these discussion, pushing this stuff on your kids? So my friends would say, I don't like that. Or I, I think, you know, this forcing people to recognize programs of, of trans people in certain spaces may harm some of if they're black, some of the freedoms that, you know, blacks are trying to get whatever. And they talk about the civil rights act. And I asked them if they've ever heard of the equality act and they'll say no. And I said, well, that's pretty scary. If you're really passionate about the black community and, and particularly the civil rights act, um, let me tell you what it is. And I tell them, you know, what it is, is adding identity and gender and stuff to the, the civil rights act. So now what you identify is elevated to the same level of race. And they're like, Shock, no, I'm not against that. I said, the problem is, I don't know your political uh, beliefs and I don't care, but I will tell you that if you are afraid of that act, it's been voted on twice and almost passed. And the only reason it hasn't passed is because the Republicans in the House and, uh, stopped it. You should go look up the act, see if I'm right about what it does, wh what it says. And then look at who voted for it. Mm -hmm. And the people would come back and say, man, I got 200 votes and all of them are Democrats. I'm like, okay, you said that, not me. Yeah. So what do you do with that information after that? And what do they do? Do people start to maybe change their affiliations or their who they're promoting or who they're supporting? Or do people just go, huh, and move on with their lives? Because again, they don't have time to think well, more about uh, it. Kind of something in the middle, because, you know, this is a slow walk. This is a process. They've been if not voting. Right, or voting for, for many years in one way. So it's a shock to the system to find out the people I've been voting for believe all these things that I don't believe. So they don't usually just say, hey, I'm going to be a Republican or whatever. <laughs> or gonna, but they do, but they say stuff, subtle things like, well, man, you know what, yo, those Democrats and Republicans are bad. And see, so it's like, if, if I were a Republican, which I'm not, a lot of Republicans get all upset. It's like, no, but don't you think they're worse? But that's not my goal. My, my, I'm happy to hear that they're openly saying now, you know, but before they were like, I would never vote for a Republican. Republicans are bad. I'm a Democrat. And they wear a Democrat t-shirt. Now they're like, I'm not part of any party. Well, why would they do that? So obviously they've noticed something that may take them a while to just say, I'm flat out. I'm, I'm registering as an independent or I'm going to call myself a Republican. But now, you know, there's a change because they, they went from the Democrat t-shirt to saying, hey, I think most of them you know, are all out for themselves and they're not thinking of my best interest. So I should pay attention a little more closely. And that's about all you can ask, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And this, this reminds me of a point that I read in your book. I've got, Charles has written numerous books so far. The only one I've read, just to be honest with our audience, is We Want Equality. But I have another one um, in the queue that he was mm -hmm. kind enough to send me. The one that you could see behind you, Race Crazy, will be the yes, next one I read. Crazy. It's like um, in my hand, see? Yeah, that's some, that's some great uh, product placement. <laughs> but we're talking about rhetoric right now, and that's kind of how you end the book, 
we want equality is you're talking about kind of rhetorical strategies and how to how to talk to people just like you are with me right now. And you actually say that if the left loses the culture war, that it probably won't be because the right fought back in a certain way. It'll be you you tie it to intersectionality, kind of like this, there's going to be a natural falling apart of the Tower of Babel. Um, so, t- so two points with that. First of all, you specifically bring up Muslims as part of that left coalition. And now, you know, your predictions are coming true, right? We're starting to see it come apart. And I think everybody who knows anything about Islam was always kind of confused. Like, why are they a part of this left coalition? That doesn't make sense. They're very concerned, you know, if right. you're a Orthodox Muslim, you're, you're going right. to be more conservative. And now we're seeing that because there's that Muslim majority city in Michigan that's banning pride flags and people on the left are kind of starting to, to panic a little bit. The coalition's falling apart. So kudos to you for sort of predicting that. But, you know, you talk a, a lot about rhetoric, but then you kind of say, well, probably if the left loses, it won't be because we fight back. So I'm kind of like, well, which do I just need to be pointing my finger at intersectionality? Or what, what, what's the point you're trying to make there? Cause it's, it's almost like, well, if I can't do anything, you know, if I fight back, it's not going to work. It's just going to crumble on its own. Well, it's not quite, but I like that. And, is and, and I have to reflect, people need to, need to know though, that because you read them in chronological order, right? So that book is before this one. Mm-hmm. So I hearing it, I'm smiling. Cause I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot about that. Because I think <laughs> I wrote that man, time flies almost seven years ago now. It was 2018, right. I think. Yeah, I think it, but that means I wrote it the year before, right? So yeah, the yeah. release and yeah, so so it's been a while. So I'm like, yeah, I was, I did predict that right. It, it was, uh, and, and a lot of the things I thought were going to happen, I was pretty certain of them being happening. But it, you know, this is pre George Floyd and COVID, so I thought right. it was going to happen 12 years from now, not like four. But to your intersectionality point, I used to say all the time, it's shocking to me that the political right is running from it that that is a tool they can use in their kit right because human nature says because i write a lot about human nature in that book human nature says that the enemy of my enemy is my friend so long as i'm fighting that enemy but when that enemy's gone we're not going to get along so yeah they're on the same side because i don't like the right and you don't like the right so let's fight together but at some point the, like you say the muslims are going to say why are you pushing lgbt on me or the women are going to say this about the like reese i don't know if you saw this recent article that said uh i, I know i think Free Black Thought tweeted it out, so you may have seen it, about Black men have this privilege. So it listed mm-hmm. all the things how Black men have privilege now. So yes. it was the way Blacks were treated. Now we're separating the Blacks from the women. It always, it inevitably happens. Uh, but what I was saying about not fighting back, what I was saying, and I still say pretty often today, and I don't know if I wrote it in that particular piece, uh, part of the book you're talking about, but my point was that we're not going to win this as a political front. So like the right is not going to beat mm, the left okay. at a culture war. What you need, and we're slowly starting to see it now, and I, talk, and I talk a little bit about it in this book, is that what you need is for liberals to come out and be like, I'm not a Republican, I would never vote for a Republican, but let's be real, what they're doing is wrong. So as, as long as the fight is political- What they're doing as in what the left is? like, a, right, What like, the left is. So, right. you, so, so as long as the fight is left versus right, the right is not going to win because in sheer numbers, you know, if you take out independence and all that kind of stuff and you make it fair, the numbers aren't that different between the right and the left, right? The people that you're really fighting against, the most extreme of the left. But when you 
factor in people who call themselves liberals, but they don't realize that there's a difference. So they fight on the side of them, not really realizing they don't agree on a lot. And then the fact that they hold power in all these industries, all the pillars they control, they can control education, they control Hollywood, they control the media. So that makes it, that's why you look on Twitter and it seems like it's 97 to one, right? It's like, you know, these few people because (laughs) they control so much stuff. So what I'm saying there is saying, you you can't as a Republican or some conservative come in and say, I'm going to just complain about the culture and win. No, what you need is to have liberals say, you're right about the culture, right? Mm -hmm. And we're slowly starting to see that. And the only reason it's slow is because it pains them to side with conservatives even more since Trump. But absent that, I'm sure liberals would have long time ago said, yeah, I'm a liberal, but what you're saying to do is insane, right? You're saying just there's no police, just remove all the police. You say a guy murders someone and we just let everyone out of jail. I might agree with you on low level crimes and nonviolent offenses, but you don't want rapists and, and murderers in jail. Right. You're crazy. They would say that. But when you elevate it to a political debate and my 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 team is the Democrats, I'm not going to go and fight for the other team. So I either close my eyes to it. Or I pretend that I agree with them, even though I don't, until it gets too bad. So that's kind of what I was saying. I was saying that you're not going to win it as, you know, as a political divide without peeling off people from the center and center left. Okay. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. And so do you think that once those people kind of get peeled off, kind of the more like old school, like blue dog Democrats or classical Mm -hmm. liberals or however they identify who generally vote Democrat, is are we going to see them shifting their votes? Maybe maybe it doesn't even go all the way up to the president. They can't they can never bring themselves for whatever reason to vote for a Republican president. But like for the local elections, they're mixing it up more. Or will it just be them going back to their representatives, Democrats and demanding that they change? You know, it's, it's going to be a combination of two. You're probably, unfortunately, right about the presidency. It will never elevate to that point. I won't say never, but it won't be for a while. They're not ready yet. I mean, I've watched all these uh, people who call themselves liberal centrists on Twitter, and they beat up on the left. Kudos to so them. Beat up on them. It's like, but I would never vote for Republicans. So what is the point? Yeah, just, yeah. I mean, Biden literally got in office and did and said everything you hate. Yeah. Everything from race to gender to the th- event he did at the White House to everything and you're like the event he did at the white house are you referring to the gay pride yeah yeah yeah. yeah, they were like no he shouldn't have done that all this other kind of stuff they're like but uh i just can't vote for republicans so what's the point however what i think will happen is what you said and one other thing that you left out will happen so yes someone was like i can't vote for DeSantis, but i can vote for republican look in uh new york lee zeldin should not have been that close to being the governor right right Right. but uh, even they had a a heat map of New York City. Forget about the state, because the state there's red parts of the state. It's yeah. a big state. But New York City, he won areas of New York City. You know, he tripled the Republican vote in those areas. And see, what happens is people like with the DeSantis and all these other things. I remember after twenty two, they said it was going to be a red wave, and it wasn't. So people are like, well, what happened? This happened. It's because they did this on Roe v. Wade. I'm like, not quite. All those things definitely factored in. But I'm a numbers guy. I'm like, look at the numbers. Right. So what really happened is they closed the gap and didn't close it up. So if you won your election, you're a very liberal Democrat. You won your election by 38 percent last time. And I run against you as an unknown pushing, you know, against your cultural beliefs. Right. And I win. It becomes historic. I'm all over the news. I'm the new Mm -hmm. darling of the Republican Party. 
But what they don't say is when I lose by six. Right. They're like, right. see, it wasn't a red wave. I just turned around 32 points. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. So that's what happened. They closed a lot of gaps. So I think some people will do that. But you know what else is going to happen? Um, people will run as Democrats and not be far left. So they mm-hmm. will run against the the uh, Democrat on their side that's been winning or pushing the hard left stuff, and then they won't, and some of them will win. Because what, what will happen in very liberal cities like New York, where there's no Republican running or they don't have a chance, Republicans will vote for that person in, in the general, right? Because mm-hmm. if, you, mm-hmm. if you're running, so let's say you're running for, the great example is mayor. Uh, I don't think I voted this time, but if I had, you had, oh, they did have somebody running because Curtis Sliwa won. But let's say Eric, when Eric Adams ran in the Democratic primary, most people look at Eric as, as a leftist or whatever. But Eric is a unique kind of guy. Some in the good and the bad way, but he is, right? So he was running against a, a bunch of very far left people that, that defund the police types, the all that kind of stuff, like super, super left. And he won, went to a runoff and he won. So he run, he becomes mayor. And so I watch him and it's just fascinating to watch. He went from, so he he basically upsets the far left and the far right every day. So one time he'll come, the first thing he did when he became mayor was homeless people can't sleep on the train anymore and send people in there to basically by force remove them from the train. So instantly, like day two, there's protests from the left. Like you can't do that, right? Mm -hmm. And then he, I can't remember what the thing did. He did something that made conservatives upset. But then after that, he's like, I'm opening the schools and you don't need to have a, a, a COVID test. So then, yay, they're mad and they're upset. And it keeps going back and forth. Mm-hmm. He stands by the police. But then he says, if you're not for trans and kids, then you're not a New Yorker. Yeah. So he's like this schizophrenic guy. But at the <laughs> same time, right, so I know it seems weird, but at the same time, more people, he opened the door for somebody to a little to the right of him to run as a Democrat. And so that's fine, too. And some of those people will probably win. OK, yeah. And I I. I feel like, um, you know, that's important to keep in mind when you're having these conversations. And maybe I, I think a lot of people on the on the right, their goal is you will register as a Republican when I'm done with you. Right. When when in reality, <laughs> they can't even get me to register. Right. Okay. <laughs> me neither. I, I'm not. Like, either. Good luck with that. Um, but that's the goal or that I feel like that's a lot of people's mindset when they go into these conversations. Right. You know, you'll walk away from this conversation wearing a MAGA cap. And in reality, it's more like what you said, where, you know, you'll see more, more conservative or like, like I say, the blue dog Democrats maybe rising back up. And a lot of these like far, far left Democrats not seeing the success they saw even a few years ago. And I I hope that's true because that's good for the country. Right. 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 (laughs) Actually talking about mentioning New York, New York City. This is a little bit of a change going back to the education point. This was something that you brought up in your book that I hadn't I hadn't really thought about it before. And that is the competency of of teachers, making sure that our teachers are are even up to snuff at all. Because once you become a teacher, basically, once you get your degree and you get hired somewhere, you pass whatever tests you need to have it's sort of, there aren't, there's not a continuing ed program the same way there is for like doctors. Right. And so there isn't this kind of like checking in to make sure that things are happening in the schools at the, at the teacher level in some kind of formal way. Mm -hmm. Um, And you brought up that the New York city school districts 
was going to was issuing a liter- literacy test for teachers, but then they scrapped it because too many minority teachers were failing the literacy test, but only 64% of white teachers passed. So the numbers were just abysmal overall. It wasn't even really a minority thing in my mind. If only 64% of the white teachers are passing, that's not something to brag about. Right. What, what do we do about that? Is it, is it, I mean, a lot of people are saying, just get your kids every day, you know, it's get your kids out of school, homeschool your kids, homeschool your kids. Is this system so rotten that that is kind of what needs to happen right now in order to, to fix this? Or, or what are your thoughts about just the competency of teachers? Because when people are complaining about, um, you know, the kind of the, the trans stuff, the LGBT stuff getting pushed on students, sometimes I wonder if teachers are doing that, not because they're evil or they're just so into that movement. It's, it's actually kind of like easier to teach (laughs) than math, right? It's easier to just be like, let's talk about how you identify as opposed to let's get into this physics right now. Right. Ooh. I mean, we can do the rest of the interview just on that question. That's how, (laughs) that's how meaty that was. Um, and I'm gonna try to address them all. And you can follow up. I'm trying to do them quickly because I, I could. I gave lit- you a lot just now. I'm sorry. Yeah, and I could literally <laughs> do 30 minutes on that. One, the most important thing you said, I talked about it there, but it goes beyond just the teacher uh, competency. A lot of people talk, and I love how Ian Rowe approaches, uh, approaches this topic too. People talk about how Blacks are failing in math or reading. They're, on, they're only reading, only this percent of given the city is always low. Only this percentage of Blacks are reading or doing math at grade level. And it's bad. And it should be fixed. Systemic racism or Blacks are dumb, depending on your view, right? And they ignore the fact that, and for whites, it's 51%. So everyone's failing. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> and and so, so that means if you, that there's, a, there's a problem with the way you're teaching. So maybe we can address that. So that gets to teachers. So that, that was a good point. So people... It's like the lens. People are looking through this. All of this is happening, but because they're looking here, they only see this. They need to step back because if they realize that how you, I keep saying this, how you decide to approach a problem is heavily uh, dependent upon how big you see the problem is. So if you see it as a black problem, common sense says use race to figure out what the problem is and fix it. If you see it as an educational system problem, then you try to address the education system. And and, mm-hmm. and most people who think like me aren't saying that there's no, no racism or there are no gaps. What we're saying is everyone's struggling. So if you improve the education for everyone, you improve the education for Blacks. So that's one thing. To the teachers, and I've had a lot of uh, instances and a lot of experience with the identity and what's being taught in school here in New York, uh, I will I will say no on the they're doing it because it's easier. They're doing it. It might be worse than that though. They're doing it because we're told because they told us to. So they don't give me. I'm a teacher. I don't get any training. I'm, I'm sure they do at some point to be fair. But it, it happens so fast, George Floyd. We got to do something. So Charles, teacher, go teach identity, racist, that or the other. We'll go to a couple seminars to to you know get you up to, up to snuff. But right now, go teach that. But how are the where are the tools? Just go. So the DOE is saying to do it, and that's my employer, and I don't want to ruffle any feathers, so I just do it. I have no idea how I'm doing it. It's mm-hmm. not work. It's failing miserably, but we're doing it. So they're doing it just because people don't stand up for what's right and just say, well, I don't think we should do that, and this is why. They just do it because they're told to do it. I don't okay. know if that's any better, but that's why they're doing it. Okay. And to the teacher competency, that's a, a union thing, and I don't want to be some conservative that beats up on unions, but I'm not. It's their job. I mean, if I'm the union rep, they're paying me dues to do what's best for them. So when you want to, as a school district or a parent group or whomever, add 
more parameters around their teaching, you know, more hours to their day, anything you want to do. And my teachers don't want it. It's my job to say, no, we don't want that because mm-hmm. I'm making it that, right? So they're pushing back against that. So in that particular case, I think they were like, no, it's not fair. Uh, we don't want you to, to hold them to all these other standards. Not like they don't care about standards. I care about my teacher and my job is to defend the teacher. And the teacher doesn't want to have to test to do right. X, Y, and Z. Uh, they do go to continuing educations. Unfortunately, it goes back to the second thing I just talked about. A lot of it is due to race and uh, DEI and identity. So they're going to figure out how to improve those areas. So it's not really the others. And to the credit, funny we talk about education. I was recently elected to the school board here. Haven't started yet, so I can't get you. We have to meet again to talk about what happened. So, you know, uh, I hope you all, uh, you know, say some yeah, prayers for me and, and think about that. Thanks. So. <laughs> So, so I, I got sworn in yesterday and the chancellor of education, State of Square is here. And his big thing to his credit, pointed by Eric Adams, his big thing is reading. He's shocked that New York is used to be better, uh, not perfect, but used to be better at reading and it dipped and across the board. And he even said on his mouth, minorities and whites, nobody can read at grade level, right? Higher than some other places, but not good enough. And that's his big focus, right? And so I, I hope to connect him to Natalie Wechtler and others who've been talking about this for 20 years, that we change the way we teach kids to read, read and they're failing. So they're failing. You were talking about getting additional training. Let's go back to academia where we started. It's how they're taught. Mm-hmm. So the way I'm taught and the way to approach my teaching, if that is skewed and flawed, then it's going to you know trickle downhill. So we need to make sure that the kids are first, make sure what we're doing works and assess what we're doing. Don't do things because it feels good. Don't do things because the intentions were good with no evidence that it worked. Don't do things based solely on race and be willing to assess and change when things don't work. The fact that we're having conversations, this would make this is when I realized I was an old man. Did you know I was an old man? I'm an old man. You know how I found out I was an old man? When the way they taught me to read in 1846 when I was... <laughs> <laughs> now we have all these devices and social media and the internet and all these innovations and his big push and all these other big push. I think he mentioned Mississippi turned their education around, their reading skills around. They went from near the bottom to near the top in the country. So he's been meeting with them to find out why. And lo and behold, they realized they should teach kids to read the way they taught me to read. And I'm like, well, what the hell have they been doing? Because I left school yeah, 30 years ago. Is that a, just a product of of the market of capitalism because people who are the ones that create curriculum, it's somebody's job, right? To create curriculum, to write books for kids. If things just stay the same, I'm not making money. You know, I need to be coming up with new ways to teach X, Y, Z thing. Is that why? Why why were they fixing something that wasn't broke? I would say now I'm going to sound like a righty here, but it's it's just my main push, but it's a cultural thing. It's not about political parties, but I think, it's hubris. It's the we can fix everything. It's the push to fix racism that I hate so much. Not because I love racism. It's because we all agree. Most of the people who aren't on the crazy fringes agree that people do some bad things. And those of us who don't go to jail and sell drugs and shoot people and all that other stuff, it's not because we don't have the capacity to do it. We've made conscious decision or we subconsciously have been scared out of it. We have a moral compass, you know, our religion, whatever it is, something tells us not to do it. But it's not like we physically couldn't do it because we're human. I think that things were bad. We started to improve things like we do on race and people are like, this is good that it's been improving, but it's not perfect. And we try to, you know, kind of tweak it just a little bit and we broke the knob off. Well, the same thing that, that goes to race 
you can use in any other um, situation. You might be right. There is a capitalistic effect to, hey, my job to sell books, I need to keep selling books. But, you know, you can find ways to get them to upgrade to, to newer editions of the book to make some tweaks mm-hmm. without going, ch- completely changing the way right. you educate. I think the bigger thing is that there's got to be a way that we can do it even better. So it was mm-hmm. good here. We got it here. Now let's get it here. Because it's always, you know, think about that. Another part of capitalism and the co- uh, corporate mantra is to always be doing better. Don't stay stagnant. So we got to improve. So if 82% of our kids can read, let's get it to 90. But they mm-hmm. didn't say let's get it to 90. The way you get it to 90 is keeping the 82 consistent and then tutoring the other 18%. Right. You don't do it by saying, hey, let's change everything for everyone. So let's take the yeah. whole 100 shake it up in a bag and roll it and see what says. No, you do what works for the greater number of people and then give all the resources and time to the people who need additional help. That is the right moral and logical thing to do. But what you do not do is take the whole board apart and redo it and then find out, shake it up. And oh, now it's 60. Now we got to do it again. So I think they were just trying to create perfection, which is impossible. Mm, Okay. So is someone like me who is kind of the I, I will be homeschooling my children. I'm homeschooling my kids. They're really little now. So I just, my oldest is barely a preschooler at this point. I am one of those people that's kind of like, take your kids, just take them out. You know, okay. I don't even trust private schools a lot of the times, you know, even thinking ahead to, to university. It's not that I'll tell my kids, you can't go to college or anything like that. They can go do whatever they want. But my husband and I have kind of decided that we're going to encourage our kids to at least get a trade first. And then if you want to go to college, go to college or but am I overreacting? What do you think when you hear people like me who are just like burn it all down? Where am I? What am I getting wrong? Should I be in the fight like you are, you know, joining school boards and things like that? Both. Now, I understand the people who say pull them out. every time I go speak at an educated event, people say you were great. Why is your kid? Because I give examples of what happened to myself. Why is he still at school? Yes, I understand why people um, homeschool. I, I fight for them to have an option. And I don't like places like California that try to constrain. It's like, you can do it, but we're going to make it really hard. Put all these regular, don't like that. The school choice is fine. You can do all that kind of stuff. But one thing I say about the school choice, like you said about the private schools, they're not really much better. So that doesn't solve it. Homeschooling is possible. Here's the bigger problem though. You know, because I'm always talking about it from a cultural standpoint, you should do it if it's best for you across the board. But the problem is we have a cultural rot that's happening. If everybody who recognizes it takes their kids out of the school and they homeschool them and inoculate them, it's a great thing to do. Right now, above, you know, somewhere nine, close to just below 95. So 93% of um, kids in America go to public school. Realistically, it's not going to 10 or 20 or 30. So maybe you get it to 70. That'd be a big job. We had homeschool and go from, you know, and, and of that, you're talking about public schools, so some of that's private. So if we went from, you know, six to eight percent homeschooling to 20, that'd be big. And if the private school dump, doubled or whatever, okay. So now you get it down to only a high 60% of people are in public school. That's still the majority, right? right. And they're still going to go through the, the go to college or drop out or, you know, don't finish or sell drugs and break the law or go to college and do well and graduate and become Hollywood actors and anchors on CNN and judges and all this other thing. They're going to go to Harvard. They're going to do all the same thing other people already do. So you're not really avoiding it. The culture is still there. Those homeschooled kids are still going to go back into a society and deal with the same culture. So you're not really fixing the overall problem. You're fixing your kid problem, which is smart, but it doesn't really, I don't see it as being a, major shift 
in the next five or 10 years in the outcome we get um, from the next generation, right? We're still going to have the majority of them went to the school that had X, Y, and Z. The majority of them had teachers that taught X, Y, and Z. The majority of them had these beliefs. The majority of them are less religious. The majority of them, it's not really going to change the majority. So it's not going to shift the cult, the culture of the country. It's just going to change, you know, that segment of the population. And if that's best for you, you should do it. Just you're doing it because it's best for your kids. So I would say do it a hundred percent. I'm just saying, don't think that that's good. Cause I, I, I have a debate with a, a great friend of mine who works in education. She knows her stuff and she thinks that put, will put pressure on the public schools. She may be right and I may be wrong. I just don't think it will. I don't think that, I mean, they will recognize it, but they'll just double down on the unions, double down because they control the legislation. I don't see them saying, man, we're losing a lot of students. We better move back to the center. Yeah. I don't see that happening. I actually interviewed Latasha Fields a while back for this podcast. You know, she's absolutely like, get your kids out, homeschooling. Yes, yes. she told me, burn it all down. (laughs) Yeah, and I, I, I pushed her on that a little bit, you know, as someone who pretty much agrees with her, right? But should I be my kids are still going to be affected by all these kids that the majority, like you say, that stay in public school. So how do I balance trying to, you know, help these kids out so that ultimately it's still kind of selfish, right? I'm still trying to help my own children. You know, like you said, change the culture, affect things in the culture that will -hmm. affect all of us. She kind of goes back to scripture, which I'm a Christian. Yeah, I said, she I, said, pray. I can tell you what she's. <laughs> yeah, she goes back to scripture and she's like, those kids ain't my problem. And, she, and you know, so even though they're all linked together, I guess you right. can't, as a parent, you can't solve everything. I got to do what I got to do, right. Yeah. So that is something that I, I was public school kid. My mom was on school board. Totally understand the Venn diagram of where we all connect and affect each other. And so that that's a little bit of cognitive dissonance that I have personally. Right. How much do I, which basket do I put my eggs in and how much time do I put? So that's a really interesting conversation that I think as homeschooling, particularly in the, in the black community is getting so, right. so popular mm-hmm. that we're, we're actually not, I don't see this conversation happening enough, but like, there's still going to be a lot of black kids in public school that your children are going to be interacting with. They're going to be marrying you know, they're going to be hanging out. They're going to be your elected officials. So they're going to be passing laws and they're going to be doing all that other kind of stuff too. You can't avoid them. Right. Right. So that's, that's a really interesting conversation. We still should fix their school from from a moral and a political and an ethical and just a, 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 we got to deal with them. So best for our own, you know, self-interest still should improve their schools. Is it enough for me to just vote for the vote for a Charles Love type of person who's going to be on the school board and do those make these changes? Or do you think parents, even if you are homeschooling, should be a little more involved? I'm glad you say that. It's funny because I'm in New York and New York is is a whole beast of itself because it's so large, a million students, all that kind of stuff. And um, for the parent council in New York, you got to be a public school parent in order to vote. So, see, you wouldn't even be able to vote for me. Oh, wow. Well, wow. see, I know communities where there's homeschool parents on school board. Their kids right, aren't even right. in. Yeah. And they're depends, on the school yeah. board. Yeah. That, wow. that person would have to be appointed by the borough president if they're not, if they don't have a child in school. Wow. So that's different <laughs> state to state or even yeah, within yeah. a state? Even, yeah. different. even within a state. That's probably it's just different. New York City. Okay. Okay. That's, well, that's, that's a, they're an anomaly. They had a million kids too. So right, across right. five boroughs. So it's just, it's a lot to do. I mean, it's a lot of us. So. Yeah, yeah I mean, I don't know if it's enough. I mean, you got to do whatever the, the, the best for you. So if your thing is to homeschool your kids, 
vote for the people you think that you agree with outside of that, then that's what you do. But I don't know if everybody did that. I mean, I guess if you had enough people to do it, it would definitely make a change. But I don't know how many that would take. A lot more than we have. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, I, I want to shift to another, well, I mean, it's kind of a related topic, but it comes up in your book. And you actually say at this part in, in We Want Equality, you're like, I'm going to lose some people here, but this is Uh-oh. how I feel. And you talk about- Did I lose you? Having, no, I'm just kidding. No, no, I actually agreed with you. I, I think about this all the time and I agree with you 100% on this. And that is- I love this because uh, it's so old. I don't know. What did I say? Yeah, pro- pride in things oh. that you have no control oh, of. Oh, I hate it so much. Right. I hate so, it so much. So being, you know- proud to be black, proud to be American, proud, proud to be things that you have no, I was just lucky that I was born an American, right? Like I, I didn't contribute to that achievement at all. I mean, I love that I am an American, but am I, am I proud to be an American? I'm happy to be an American is probably, I'm grateful, you know, I feel blessed, those kinds of things. So I agree with your stance, but it's a, it's a debate and a conversation that I have so frequently with my own family members and even people, you know, that aren't in my family, but that are conservative right wing black folks who still place like being black as like one of the most important things about them, you know, and there's a lot of pride in that. Is that is sometimes I wonder, is this just a battle I shouldn't fight? Like how important is it to sort of have those conversations with people or if, if you've got them on on 80% or 90% is it even worth broaching the like why I'm not proud that I have brown eyes I was just born with brown eyes why why do we f- spend so much time being proud of things that we didn't affect that we're right. just born so into so what I think I remember uh, get, leaving a little wiggle, wiggle room saying if you're proud of your kids if you there's a few yeah, things you did. That mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. but this this like this beating like focus like part of me you know is the fact that I'm gay or the fact that I'm black that affects all this other stuff. It's so important to me, this, that, or the other. And that's why I knew I was going to lose people. But it also ties to my, my my Twitter persona and why people are so confused about me on Twitter. I got opinions on everything. I was like, I forgot <laughs> I wrote that. See, seven years ago, now I'm in a different place. I'm like, oh, if I say that now, some people who like me would be offended. Uh, yeah. but, <laughs> but I don't, every hill is not a hill for me to die on. I don't care. So I'm glad you had the second piece. She was like, is it worth that fight? I'm like, I don't. There's plenty of people that I'm really friendly with on, on, on Twitter and they're big on that. And I see them tweet stuff. And in my mind, I roll my eyes, but I don't I don't respond to it because I'm like, what's the point? So go down a rabbit hole. At the end, we're not going to agree. So go ahead and take your pride. But it, it, it doesn't, one, it's nothing you can trust enough to be proud of. And, and of course, I separate. So I'm a Christian, but I understand many of the people that I talk to aren't. So I am very well versed in having my same moral debates without mentioning, you know, religion at all. So a lot of people that people, most people probably don't even know, except for when I mentioned in an interview, it doesn't happen that often, but I'm not, I don't run from it. I'm ashamed of it. If it's part of the topic, I talk about it, but I don't, you know, on Twitter, you're not going to argue with a bunch of atheists because then it becomes a religious fight. And that's not Mm -hmm. even a topic. The topic was free speech or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I do find it interesting, just like the black people who talk about pride, the Christians who say things that seem to be against Christianity. So I don't knock you if you're an atheist, you're a Muslim, whatever, you have a different theology. But for you to say you're a Christian and then say all these things that that just don't really comport shocks me. And that's one of them. I, I, I'd say to all the Christian viewers and listeners, go to your Bibles. You know, they're digital now. You can just go to an app <laughs> and type in the word pride. Yeah. I don't remember how many times because I didn't know you were going to ask me this, but I think it probably comes up, I don't know, some, north of 40 times. I don't think mm-hmm. any of them are positive. 
No. So I was actually going to say, is pride just bad generally? Is it something, even with your own children, with your own children, it's a cardinal sin, right? And every Christian will say that, but then, you know, it's, you you, you can give, you gave, like I said, wiggle room, like being proud of your kids. Okay. Being proud of your family. But even that to an extent, like, well, I have, I have a, an effect as a Christian. So now I'm talking to you as a Christian. I'm a Christian, Christian worldview, biblical worldview, which the vast majority of black people report mm. to be Christian, right? We're Wouldn't the most, know it, but yes. We're the most, on paper, according to polling data, we're the most religious block in America. Yep. So I think it's relevant to have kind of these Christian world road conversations on the Free Black Thought podcast because right. that's the truth about black people in America yep. and across the world. And we should, um, yep. Mm-hmm. I have, you can say, well, it's okay to be proud of your children because at least then you can say, I had, you know, I raised them. So their accomplishments, I'm, I didn't just luck out and my child became a a doctor or became a good person or did this or that. I influenced that. But at the same time, as Christians, do we take, shouldn't we just be giving the glory to God? Like, so even pride in our own children and those kinds of things, we should be trying to, it's going to be human nature to feel some of that pride, but we should be trying to like, Right, you should be, Push that you should down. be you know, embracing it. You should be trying to somewhat suppress it. No, I get you, and that's true. But I try to say, you know, the battle for the war. If I give you that, will you at least not say, "I'm proud that I'm gay. I'm proud that I'm black. I'm proud that 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 the the, the, the Lakers won the championship." Or did you play? I don't understand. <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and it's it's not just that. It's like you know, and and the gay and the black pride are similar in my views of pride but they manifest themselves differently, right? So, you know, the gay pride, they claim, but their actions today, now maybe 10 years ago, but don't, don't say that. They claim that it's because we were discriminated against. So we're proud that we're able to live the way we, we want to live. Mm-hmm. But again, that still shouldn't be pride, right? You're not, so that in there, the difference is the black people are saying they're proud that they're black. The gay people aren't necessarily, to be fair, saying I'm proud that I'm gay. They're, they're, they're more happy that, they're saying they're celebrating the fact that they're that they're free to do it if they want to do it, right? But then it's the wrong word, right? Then, right. then that's the wrong avenue. And the way you you celebrate that achievement of your freedom is to say America is a great country for giving my freedom, and then go and live your life, not to flaunt it in front of people. To the black pride, they're confused because they can't even. I watched them twist themselves into knots trying to define what blackness is. So it yeah. always tends to, you know, some people get somewhat close, but 90% of the time we say, well, what is it then? They'll say there is a black culture in a sense, but when they describe it, it's either regional stuff or, or things that, um, you know, that they're celebrating one-offs, like things that aren't necessarily black. It was founded by a black person or it was created by a black person. And there again, they're taking someone else's achievement and they're making it their own. It's it's funny we're talking about this now, but I was my, my son was watching a video earlier, and and it was uh it's going through people doing these cool accomplishments, and this guy was the national breakdancing championship, and so I was in the other room. I said, look, this guy is uh, doing. He was the national breakdancing champion. He's about to dance, and I walk in and look, and it's like a Korean guy, right? And so see, blacks would say that's black culture, and I would argue in that for that example, just as an example of why it's a problem to to twist the pride is no somebody or a small group of black people who were happened to be black came up with that that idea but if those four two six however many people came up with that idea and then their, and their parents moved them to some all-white neighborhood 
then all the rest of the break dancers would be white because they, the kids would see him or see them and impersonate it and think it's cool. Like, wow, just like watching somebody bounce, watching somebody ski or do anything else. So they would impersonate them. Some of them would get good at it. And then they would branch out and move around and showcase their talent. And then there'd be a bunch of white people breakdancing. It's nothing innately black about breakdancing. Right. Right? right. And so that's what they did. Everything they had as an example was more regional stuff. Like we didn't create gospel music, but we added the soul to the gospel music. I'm like, oh, my God. And even if that's true, <laughs> and even if that's true, let's be honest, Lisa added the soul to it. You didn't. Why right, are you proud? Right. I'm, I'm not proud. We, of it's the, always like, we when you had nothing to yeah, do with we. it. <laughs> and then they do the same thing with negative. We have been, you know, struggling for 400 years. We have been oppressed. We still today can't do what we want to do. Well, speak for yourself, because I can't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. I was so surprised. I was the pride thing. Yeah, pride, pride, down with pride. Down with, we need t-shirts that say that, down with pride. That would get some, that would get some interesting conversations. People would be so confused, because you don't say what kind of pride, right? Because you're just talking down right. with pride. Anyways, that's right. that would be, be quite funny. Actually, speaking of kind of like the, the black kind of persona and pride. I want to talk about, I saw you respond to this viral Tim Scott moment on The View. And you had a critique about his rhetoric that he used on The View. And I loved what you had to say. And actually, once again, Charles, like we were kind of on the same wavelength, because for those who don't know, you can like YouTube Tim Scott on The View. But basically, he was pushing back against, um, I forget which host. Sunny Holston. Was it Sunny? She was basically, you know, telling him that he was just an exception to the rule and black people are going to struggle and that's the way it has been and that's the way it's going to be for the foreseeable future and he had this moment that got picked up by a lot of people on the left and the right a lot of people like Tim Scott's kind of like his positive outlook Mm -hmm. Um, and I get it totally get it he seemed I understand that but he was saying his point was I'm not the exception look we have a we've had a black president we've had a Vice vice president, Exception. all these things, right? But they the are exceptions. Exceptional, exceptional. It, but they right. they are exceptions. Anybody who becomes a politician, black, white, Asian, or whatever, you are an exception. Like most people are not going to be able to come politicians, even if they really want to. Whereas, like if somebody says, "I'd like to be a teacher one day," the average person has a great chance of achieving that goal of becoming a teacher, no matter what their ethnicity was. So, can you please? Mm-hmm. Tell us, for people who didn't see your Twitter thread, how you would have changed the way that Tim Scott presented his argument. Because I believe Sonny was wrong, but I also right. don't think that he necessarily debunked her. Right. So Sonny was wrong and Tim was good. Tim won the, the, the debate because he was very positive or whatever. So people loved it. And so my initial reaction was like, eh, I'm not that impressed. And people were like, shut I mean, like people were tweeting me like, Charles, I thought you would have loved it. I'm not saying he was wrong. I think he missed a golden opportunity because what I, you know, I, I speak fluent leftists. So I know what the way <laughs> they think. So I would have used the opportunity to either get them to agree with me and then say, therefore X, or to disagree with me. And prove to the people watching that what she's saying doesn't make sense. So he used the, you already gave what he used. What I would have said was, I said, I think that America is an exceptional place and we have great opportunities and everybody who put forth the effort can do X, Y, Z. Well, I don't think that because, you know, look at all this other stuff. And then I just would have been that, like, you're making the same mistake that you claim that I'm making. I said, president, you said that's an exception. And you're bringing up all these people who are also the exception. No one ever talks about the rule. So- Mm -hmm. It's like this belief, like, so I probably would have said something like, like, I'd say, what percentage of, of Blacks do you think are in poverty? 
what percentage of blacks do you think uh, go to college? They always think the numbers are worse than they really are because they they left, right or center who don't really understand this view things through a small lens and they all view it for whatever different reasons as so bad. So black life is bad, even to black people who are successful because they buy into the narrative. So at one point in the back and forth, she says, one that really got me that I really would have used is she said, uh, well, 40% of black people are homeless. And I would have said, I'm assuming that stat is true. I don't have it in front of you. But what I do know is that's 40% of a very small number and about a half a million uh, Americans are homeless. So you're saying 200,000 blacks are homeless. Well, that's one half of 1% of all of black America. Sonny, what percentage of blacks make over $100,000 a year? I don't know. Well, it's 9.5%. So 20 times as many blacks are in the 1% than the, the ones you're claiming are homeless. So I would argue that you are also using the exception. My point is that black bus driver married to a black police officer are not struggling and oppressed and living in poverty, right? Mm-hmm. The average black family could make more money. They make like, You want to focus on the fact that they make less than the white family. If that's what you want to focus on, that's fine. But to act as if the average person is living in poverty, when you want to pull stats, 20% of blacks live in poverty. Is that too high? Yes. Well, 10% of whites live in poverty. So we don't want anyone living in poverty, but to act like it's the norm for blacks. The average black lives in poverty when the number says 20%, it's just fallacious. So you can't fix the problem for the 20%. When you walk around, you come on this show with this major platform and act as if the number's really the other way. 80% live in poverty and 20% are doing well. That's not true. So stop saying that it's an exception for blacks to succeed and live a positive life in America. Because most of the blacks who are watching this show are like, well, yeah, it is a struggle. Oh, it's a struggle for them. I'm doing fine. But it must be some, you know, hypothetical, theoretical black person out there that's struggling because Sonny said so. So if you really wanted to help, stop feeding this negative narrative. That's simply not true. I love that. And I... I was I was snapping when I was reading your your Twitter thread <laughs> about yeah. Tim Scott. So you know, I get it. I like to, to look at things from a from a, a standpoint that most people don't look at. So very the, the things that I'm most proud of is I say thing, and even other people that I truly respect are like, wow, I didn't think about it that way. I remember being on the call talking about something, and I and I said, well, why don't they do something? And 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 Glenn, it's a Glenn Laurie and Ian were on the call, and they're like, hmm, that's a good one. And Ian was like, can I use that? I was like, of course. It's like yeah. the fact that, you know, these these wonderful, brilliant guys are like, well, I didn't really think about that point. I try to listen to things and say, OK, what is not being said? So that's why I'm not always the first person out there that's like, let me respond. I say, let's see what the responses are. Mm-hmm. There's going to be something missing and somebody needs to say, bring attention to the part that no one else is talking about. I love you for that. And on that Tim Scott note in the presidential election in general, Obviously, this is not a part of your book at all because this book was written before, well, long before. Man, I'm race. good. I knew I was good. I didn't know I was that good. <laughs> what did I say about yeah, Will you... Hurd when he joined the, the election? <laughs> yeah, you you predicted that Asa Hutchinson is going to win. I think you're going to oh, be wow. up. <laughs> no, I still got a shot. But, but I just I I can't let this this interview go by without asking you what you think about, especially because you're such a big rhetoric guy about kind of this battle between Trump and DeSantis going on right now. And, you know, to me, it seems like just my own personal viewpoint, it seems like every day Trump is kind of like shooting himself in the foot. He's saying something where I'm just like, oh my God, just shut up. He's, and I'm not like a Trumper. I'm not a big Trump guy. I want the best person to be president. And Mm -hmm. if that's Trump, then that's Trump. If it's DeSantis, if it's DeSantis, if it's Biden, then it's Biden. 
I'm not, I'm not trying to, you know, say that I'm rooting for, for him or anything like that, but I want it to be a, a good race. Right. But he's still really leading in the polls. I think maybe DeSantis has started to chip away a little bit. Is it, is he just in a position where his floor is his floor? Like he's not going to lose his hardcore fans and we're going to have a situation where basically the same thing that happened when he got the nomination in 2016, where nobody's really a majority candidate and you can walk away with the nomination getting like 30% of the votes. What do you, what are you predicting? What are you seeing? Well, about the rhetoric, I, I would just say, man, it's a good day not to be a Republican. That is vicious. It's like a proxy war. I sit here clutching my pearls because a lot of people on Team DeSantis, I know personally, a lot of people on Team Trump. So if I tweet anything, they're calling me like, so what are you saying? I stay out of it. I got nothing to say. What do you think about it? I don't think anything. I got nothing. I'm Switzerland. I got nothing to say. Mm-hmm. But as far as the, the, the Trump thing, it, you know, it's a long election. So a lot of people are going to say things they shouldn't say, shoot themselves in the foot. Do yeah. something good that builds up. The bigger problem that I find is this primary is unlike anything we've ever seen before. And that's because there's really three types of Republicans, right? There's the never Trumper, which is easily to identify, but they're not going to win. So even the people who Republicans who are fed up with Trump, they don't hate him to the point that they're going to vote for somebody who's a hater. They look at the Lincoln Project. I call them Lincoln Project Republicans. So like, like the Chris Christie, I'll give you a good example mm-hmm. of what I'm talking about. So they look at Chris Christie as the anti-Republican. So they're not really going to vote for him. But his numbers will look better than they really really are because there's a good 20% of Republicans who absolutely hate Trump. He's going to get all of them. If nobody else comes in in that lane, he'll get them. So 20% will look good, but it's not real. It's, it's fool's gold. So they have no shot, but that's the a lane. Then there's the lane that's like, well, here's the more interesting lane. There's the lane of people who are running. This is your DeSantis, your Tim Scott, your Nikki Hale, a lot of them. I worked for Trump. I was part of his campaign. I'm whomever. He's a friend of mine. Vivek says that, whatever. Like his policies. It's just not really his time. I think his time has passed. We need somebody different. It's logical to people like you and I, because we're not in the meat of it. But to people who are true dog Republicans, like knee deep in it, they're like, you need to convince them. Why not? Think about what, what, what you're really asking them to do. You're asking them to vote for Trump's policies, beliefs, his proven record, we, Republicans are always worried about Supreme Court justices. You know who he's going to appoint because there's three there. You know what you know about him from a legislative standpoint. Forget about the attitude. Mm-hmm. You're asking them to vote for that when the guy is still there. It's like asking Joe Biden's running. You're asking people to vote for Joe Biden because I'll be just like Barack Obama. Barack, Barack Obama's in the race. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? <laughs> so that's unprecedented. So if I want mm-hmm. Barack Obama, I just vote for Barack Obama. So they're not really, they have to separate themselves from him, but it's hard to do because they've already started in the outset saying that I agree with his policies. So how do you separate yourself? Mm -hmm. You can separate yourself from him from a personality standpoint, but they also need to separate themselves, differentiate themselves on policy, and they have a hard time doing it. And lastly, to your numbers, let's get back to the numbers guy. What's going to happen is, the reason it's so hard to beat him is his floor is set. It's somewhere between 37 and 41. So even the worst day for Trump, he gets 37. It never goes lower. So the problem is that's not the majority, but then you got eight guys running. So that other, you know, 62% is going to be split by so many different people. No one's going to be able to get 38. No one, right? Because some of them are going to run a little more centrist. They're going to get five or 10. Somebody, some are drop out and endorse different people, but you're going to get down to three or four and Trump is going to hold at his 38. Somebody's going to be at 28, right? And then the two other people are going to be whatever. And they're never going to have enough votes. So what's going to happen is they're going to either have to give it to him because he wins it 
on all these Super Bowls? Are they going to steal it from him because he's so toxic? It's like it's close enough. He didn't get 50 percent. So let's find a way to give it to DeSantis or whomever. And Trump is is bitter and petty. I mean, sorry, Trump fans, but he is. So he would just run in as third party. Mm-hmm. Even though they're making him sign all kind of stuff to prove that it is anyone, well, he'll just say, I changed my mind because you cheated me. That's the reason why I'm doing it. I agree to not run as a third party if I didn't get cheated, but you cheated me, so I'm going to run a third party. Mm, so that's what so their only hope is that, that he goes to jail, which is never going to happen. No. Because even if even if he gets indicted on that stuff and he goes to jail, then I'm going to set the court date to after the election. Yeah, so I, they're in trouble. I don't know. So if DeSantis win, it's going to be DeSantis, Trump, and, and Gavin Newsom because I don't think Biden's going to make the run and I don't think Kamala's running. So See, there's another prediction. Yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> your, your predictions tend to be pretty good. So I'm going to take note of that. Do you think, do you believe, I don't know if a conspiracy is the right word for this, but that, you know, all of this stuff with the indictments and all that is actually the, the Democrats that, that pumps up Republicans because they feel like Trump's being treated unfairly. Right. So they're like, well, I'm going to vote for him now just because F you Democrats, you know, you, you're throwing all these all these court cases at him. He's not being treated the same way that Hillary Clinton was treated. He's not being treated the same way that Hunter Biden is treated or Joe Biden, for that matter, even though they're they're all involved in kind of similar shenanigans. Um, and that actually it's a it's a play by the left to make sure that Trump gets the nomination because that's who they want to run against, because that's who they think is the most beatable. No, there's no way I believe that, because one. Politicians aren't that smart. We give them way too much credit. <laughs> Two, we all agree that there's TDS. TDS exists. Most people agree that, right? They hate him so much. You think they're thinking about, we hate him so much, let's let him win the nominee. They're afraid of him. They, they're terrified of him. They think he's crazy. They think he's bad. They think he's authoritarian. Why would you? It's not even logical. If he's so evil, if he's the second coming of Hitler, anything can happen in the general, right? So why would you make the mistake to prop him up so he can win the primary because he'll be easier to beat? And then, Biden has a grabber and then Kamala wins the com- uh, nomination. We realize she can't talk because, you know, she can't talk. And then he <laughs> somehow gets lucky and beats her. Why would you put yourself in a chance? Right. It's like you don't when you when you're up three one in a series, you put the, the, the you win the game and you end the series. You don't keep like, well, I got another game I can win down the road. I can take a nap. And then somebody gets injured and then you lose. So that's the second reason why I don't think they're doing it. And then third. They can control the states because everything is at the federal level. If it's DHA, but it's cities. It's it's the AG in Illinois. It's all these different. I mean, in in New York, it's all these different people, and they can control them. So, what happens if somebody does speed it through and get it on a docket and get it um and get him um you know in court before the election, right? So now you got the Republicans fired up thinking he's being cheated, and you remove that chip from the table. So now the Republicans are fired up. And then they'll just vote for whoever the other guy is. And then you don't end up getting Trump anyway. You end up mm. getting someone else on the ballot and trying to get prop him up so he wins. I mean, they, they didn't know until now you can say that. But at the time they started indicting him, they didn't know that his his stock would rise and his, his, his uh, percentage would go up. They didn't know that, his favorability in the GOP. When they did that, they did it because they believed it. Mm. It could okay. have gone down and they still would have done it. They just hate him. Okay. And, and when it comes to the question of talked about other candidates differentiating themselves from Trump, it seems like, I mean, obviously, well, to me, it seems obvious that Trump sees DeSantis as his his biggest threat, because that's who he spends the most time on. You know, whereas like when Tim Scott entered the race, he was like, welcome, come on down, because he doesn't see Tim Mm -hmm. Scott as a threat and some of the other candidates as well. 
but it seems like until they attack him when they attack him he'll change yeah then then he'll start stomping the yard but for now he's focused on DeSantis but mm-hmm. it seems like almost that he is Trump is trying to differentiate himself from DeSantis by, <laughs> by going to, to the left by moving to the left yeah what what's that all about he, uh, I, I kind of guess it's a kind of somewhat dangerous move but I kind of get it because it goes back to the first thing. I mean, I wouldn't do it. It does seem it's on the surface. It seems odd. But what he's doing is somebody told him that it could be dangerous. But think about it. Like, look at the numbers. Somebody look. These people look at numbers. You're 38 to 41 percent baked in. Go get some other numbers. Yeah. If you move to the left, some people be mad and roll their eyes. People will laugh at you on Twitter and call you a hypocrite. But your 38 is locked. Mm. Remember, that I can go on Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody and my supporters won't leave me. So if he truly believes he's got 38 locked and he, he thinks if he sits at 45, he can win. So why not peel some moderates away? Right. I'm not going to lose my 38. My 38 is not going anywhere. They're going to say they're going to make excuses for me. He's just saying it because of this, whatever. So go try to get some other people. I don't think it'll okay. work, but I think that's why he's doing it. OK. OK. Some of the things kind of make sense, but I wonder if he's going to, uh, you know, I could see how you could get moderates by being, you know, when Trump was elected, he was the most LGBT friendly president ever mm-hmm. elected, right? Even Barack Obama was not pro gay marriage when he was right. elected, he changed. Um, and so I could see, um, especially some of those social issues, maybe peeling away moderates or s- seeming less threatening to them, at least, which he has come out or, or there has been some, some media that's gone out about him being more friendly towards the LGBT stuff than like Ron DeSantis, who's DeSantis, like right. really taking a hard stance in, in Florida, right? He's calling DeSantis like a book ban- banner and all that kind of thing. But the one, the thing that's weird to me that is that Trump will not let go of the, the vaccine thing. Like he still holds it up. Like the vaccine, was it one that, of his that, greatest? That was one of his major wins. Yeah. But his own base, they're the ones most likely to have not gotten vaccinated like mm-hmm. so that's a that's a weird one to me but it, i guess yeah, you're saying it's really not what's a, his percentage it's not enough to what's his percentage any, his percentage of what of, uh, uh, favorability of the gop hasn't changed but it, he didn't he didn't know that i guess when he no, started I, I think what for him personally that's his one win when i think sometimes it's just the simplest answer that was my one win i stuck on it i'm still gonna stay even if it didn't work as well as we thought it did from the vaccine itself, how fast I got it done is a win and I'm on my win. And to his supporters, they're like, I disagree with him on that. That's his, that's he's got the he's got a blind spot on that. I'm just gonna ignore that, unroll with it, I'm cool. Is there it's a it's almost like they have this this unwritten agreement. You pro uh COVID vaccine, I'm against it, but I love you anyway. All right, cool. I won't yell at you, I won't put you down, you don't dog me out, we'll be cool, and then shake hands and they moved on. Is there so any line you think, do you think there is any line that he could cross where some of that 38 or would get chipped away? Or do you just think people are too, too in love? It, could, it has to be, but I don't know what it is. But what I will say is if he was smart and he was trying to get more moderates, he would just, you know, stop being mean. And you would say, <laughs> yeah. that's what the people who, who's his supporters like, but they won't not like him because he didn't do it. I mean, right. Uh, he could still do it. He could use this opportunity to make fun of Kamala and Biden and Democrats and stick it to Gavin and just stop talking about DeSantis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That would do more for his non-Trump voters 
getting a couple of those people, which I don't think, I think it's baked in, just like his 38 to 41 is baked in. I think the rest of them are baked in. They're never going to move over to Trump. Yeah. And I think, you know, a lot of people talk about his, his meanness and just him turning on a lot of his former staff members and all this. Everyone. Right. (laughs) Um, And saying that really the, the, the audience, the, 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 voting demographic that really doesn't like that is like suburban women, moms, like women just, they want, they don't find it as funny and as cool as men to like be this fighter. But really in, in the last election, he made gains with every single except for white men. men, Right. But nobody talks about that. Right. Because that was because of the Lincoln project. That's the one thing they were successful for. Their whole goal was to bring him down and and they tried everything racist and the Hispanics and blacks says, whatever, Trump. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. and so I still have people say that today. I love it when the white liberal or the white centrist comes to me as a black man who's not a Republican, but they say, well, Trump's a racist. Well, why? He just is. Everybody knows that. So everybody except for the ignorant minorities because they kept voting for him. So yeah. they must know something you don't know. Why is it that they voted for him more? Even, well, he was, he was a racist when he came down the escalator. He got more votes after that. And you still stand on that. Well, I know as a white person, I can tell you what racism is. And he's a racist. That dude's not a racist. He's a jerk, but he's not racist. Trump is not a racist. I'm 90% sure he's not a racist. Yeah. Yeah. And I he's mean, an equal opportunity hater. <laughs> yes. He hates people he hates, but he loves black people who agree with him and he hates black people who don't agree with him. What makes him look like a racist is white people are afraid to put people down, right? So if I don't agree with you and you're black, I find other ways to attack you. And he'll just be like, you're a loser. But you just can't call a black person a, a loser. Why? I don't like him. And I call everybody I don't like a loser. So he's black and he's a loser. Tim Scott would be a loser if he attacked him. He, unlike any other politician who would be afraid to do it because he's black, he would, he would, he will say whatever, because this is what he does. Right. But I don't think he's like, what a racist means. Like I want, I, I am particularly against blacks and I would love to see them struggle. That's not him. It's silly. Yeah. No, no, I don't think so either. Okay. Well, that is, I think a great spot to segue into our 10 question speed round. Oh, We've got some okay, predictions. Right. We got some predictions for the, for the election, which was, you know, you'll, you'll hear from me and it after the election happens and be like, Charles, you were wrong or Charles, you were wrong about where's everything. your, where's your it's magic probably ball? Won't happen, so. <laughs> it won't happen. So. I'll be a- like, Asa Hutchinson will be president. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. That- by my 20, my 2007 prediction. I, I would almost want that to happen just because it'd be the most fit. Fe- because whatever would have to lead up to that happening would be right. the most fascinating cultural political thing ever. Right. Because I cannot imagine a world in which that would happen. So yeah, low right. key, kind of hoping for it. Because whatever <laughs> yeah. happens in between, like everybody dies, DeSantis, Trump. I, that seems yeah. like the only He's way. The old last man standing. <laughs> yeah. There you yeah. go. He exactly. won because he was alive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Right. Okay. Anyways, ten speed questions. Here we go. Are the best things in life really free? Yes. What's the biggest misconception about you? Ooh, the biggest misconception about me. Ooh, that's a tough one. What, I don't know. People don't care about me enough to have a misconception. I would probably have to say off the top of my head that they think I'm a Republican, even though I constantly say I'm not, which is weird, but maybe that. What would your last meal be? Ooh, my last meal would probably be some really good fresh fish dish, maybe Chilean sea bass. Are golfers athletes? <laughs> yes, anyone's an athlete if they say they are. Should the United States keep daylight savings time? 
oh, it's so miserable, but we don't like change that much either. No. Who is the most underrated Black intellectual? Glenn Lowry. Is kneeling during the national anthem an appropriate form of protest? No. Booker T. Washington or W.E.B. Du Bois? <laughs> Stop it. Next question. You already know the answer to Booker T. Is Rachel Dolezal a bad person or misunderstood? Oh, I don't know. Neither? <laughs> oh, I, was, I wouldn't say she's a bad person. I think she's a confused person, but I wouldn't say we misunderstand her either because we're pretty clear. So can I say neither or is that against the rules? Yeah, I'm a you rule can pro. say neither. Yeah. Neither. And finally, should Election Day be made a national holiday? Are we going to get rid of this foolishness of you get to uh, vote for 17 months and you only get to vote on that day? Then I yes. <laughs> yeah, if that's election day, we're giving people the day off so they vote on that day, but they don't get to vote two weeks before and it's just on election day. Yes. All right. That sounds fair to me. Okay. So you got through the 10 questions. We had a great conversation. This is a chance for you to put out any of your final thoughts, anything you want our listeners to know about it can be literally on any topic. Oh, man. What do I think? That, I mean, I think the most important things, we covered a lot of it in, in the uh, interview is that you need to find a way to communicate to anyone in your circle who is not tuned into social media, because that's where the real fight is going to be uh, won. You need to talk to your Uber driver, the person bagging groceries, you serve at the restaurant. You don't have to be overtly political, but you do need to plant seeds of logic wherever you can. I think that is really important. And I think you should pick up this book. Everyone talks about Race Crazy because it's newer, but uh, We Want Equality has an interesting opening to history and why you're not going to get this equity, why this equity thing is doomed to fail no matter whether every Republican loses every office uh, and, and the country's run by only liberals, it still won't work because there's more of a human flaw that's stopping them from getting the equity they want. So check that out. I think that's it. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Charles, for joining us. And I know that we'll be connecting either online or in an, at an event. And it's always a pleasure to see you and talk to you. You as well. Thanks for having me. The number you have dialed. You're listening to the Free Black Thought Podcast.